Talk Zone presents Two Guys on a Mic, your mid-morning break sports talk show. It's a passionate yet lighthearted look at the world of sports, featuring the coach, John Cohn, and the big dog, Joel Radwanski. They'll recap the games from yesterday, look ahead to the matchups tonight, and cover a lot more in between. Now, Two Guys on a Mic on TalkZone.com. March Madness in full swing, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Two Guys at a Mic Show Big Ten Tournament kicking off in about 30 minutes. It is our University of Fighting Illini. Illinois Fighting Illini take on Iowa. The Big East Tournament started yesterday. A few more automatic bids are already in. We'll talk March Madness and more. We'll get off the sports page, do a little pitchers and catchers report, spring training, results. Got a little NBA basketball for you. How about our guy Derek Rose? I'm going to put, I hate to do this, but I'm going to put a negative spin on the Bulls' eighth consecutive victory and an amazing last-second shot by Derek Rose, but I'll find a way to do it, and I'll do it earnestly. Big Dog and the Coach with you earnestly right up until 11 o'clock. Producer extraordinaire David Olson on the other side of the glass. Play a little bit of music, and then... We will kick off, hopefully, into the end zone so the ball cannot be returned. ESP of the end, Syracuse taking on UConn, Cincinnati, and Georgetown. The game that I personally like, uh, this might be must-watch TV, must-see TV, Marquette taking on Louisville. Interesting matchup, but I feel somewhat ashamed that I'm going to hold the big dog, Joel Redwanski, my fine partner, primarily responsible for the fact that uh, Marquette University is only about an hour north of us, uh, you know, less on a good day. And they have had a phenomenal season. They got the Big East Player of the Year in Jay Crowder, J-A-E, by the way, not J-A-Y. And we have probably, and again, I'm holding the big dog primarily responsible. I'm only taking slight responsibility. I don't know that we've mentioned Marquette in the last three and a half months. They've had a phenomenal season. They're blowing Louisville, and I think the game of the night tonight. Without further ado, let me welcome in a man who I've just shamed, and rightfully so, the big dog, Joel Redwanski. Dog, how are you? I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't want Jesuit. That's why I never talked about Luke Hakeley. Ah, uh, don't you love my introduction? Poor Big Dog sitting at home just waiting to see which way the, the coach will go. I, I try to get you a little off kilter, a little on edge right off the beginning of the show, Big Dog. Part of my plan. It usually doesn't work because you just try to get me irritated when you start saying stupid stuff and then you sound stupid and I make fun of you. Hey, take it easy. But it's funny. It's funny when you, when you're trying to make fun of me, typically it's you that looks bad. Yeah, you're probably right. You point the finger at someone, three of them pointing back at yourself. Would you agree with me at least that uh, Marquette and Louisville, awfully good quarterfinal game? Oh, that's going to be a phenomenal game. The Big East has perennially been an, an awesome tournament. The problem is I think everybody left is pretty much going to be in the tournament anyways. Right now in the Big Ten, in the Big East tournament, I don't think anybody is advanced to any type of Cinderella mm-hmm. is what I'm saying, Coach. It's, it's it's been a bloodbath so far in the Big East. Not that many great games. Yeah, you know, and I don't know. I look at it, you know, Cincinnati, Georgetown, you know, I'm not going to spend any time watching. My point is these were all supposed to be good games. I'm watching this. Every game's a blowout. The yeah. Big East tournament has been boring this year. Well, so far. 
Yes. So far, we still got three more pretty good days to go. And even though we should mention, you know, even though all the teams are in it, there's still pretty good prestige for winning the conference tournament championship. That's something you can hang your hat on, uh, you know, a few years down the road. Oh, no, absolutely. I'm just, uh, all I'm just saying is there hasn't been any good games in the tournament so far. I've been watching them. Yeah. So the, the, let's let's face it. The real tournament starts today. The Big Ten tournament starts at ten thirty this this morning. So. Ten thirty a.m. Your uh, beloved University of Illinois Fighting Illini have had extreme issues. They've been to the doctor's office for a physical. The doctor couldn't figure out what the heck was wrong with them. Has sent them to a variety of specialists. None of the specialists can quite target the particular illness. Big dog. I don't know if you've been able to put your finger on it. Any chance? They can get well and get well quick because that's what they need to do. Uh, they, all they need is confidence. You know, like the, the, the last year, Illinois had way too much confidence. What the team needed was heart. Okay, that was they were they played afraid. It was like these guys were like, yeah, we're the best, and then they'd go out there and they'd cower. These guys, I mean, it's not like they're afraid or they play dumb. It's like I don't think they believe in themselves. Mm-hmm. I think I think maybe Weber has done way too much ripping on this team and talking about what they're not instead of actually what they could be. And that's, that's the biggest problem with Illinois is they don't play confident. All right, so instead of being in the doctor's office, what you're saying is we they should have been seeing some of Chicago area's top-ranked psychologists. It's all up in the head. It, you know, it seems like continually Bruce Weber is unable to fix the mental problems of this, of this basketball team over the couple of years. Whenever there's something mental, like confidence or heart, it's always an issue at Illinois. Okay, he's not. I don't think he's done a good job of actually handling uh, like team situations in, in that respect. Yeah, he knows how to defend a pick and roll, and he knows how to get Illinois to move the ball better in the in the movement offense. Let's face it, coach. Why every year are we talking about like strange things about why Illinois loses? Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like oh, you know they 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 had a very hard time in Lopo's defense. It's always something like oh, they were winning the game and. And then in the last minute, uh, they played horrible. Yep. And then, like, last year was because of fear, and this year it's not because they're not, like, they're afraid. It's like everybody's looking around, hey, you take the shot, you take it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, yeah that, that little something-something. That little extra little mental, physical, heart toughness, whatever you want to call that little extra something-something has been missing with the uh, Illinois Fighting Illini for, what, last three, four, five years, and even... There were periods of times, I mean, I go back way into the Lou Henson days where that was a bit of an enigma at the uh, University of Illinois, that same problem. Well, what, what problem? That, that, what you uh, just alluded to, the mental part, getting them fired up, ready to play. I mean, physically gifted athletes and gifted basketball players, but and sometimes it's hard to put your finger on exactly what it is. That's why I'm calling it the basketball version of something-something. But that's what the U of I has been missing, and certainly this year, a classic case. It, it isn't. It isn't hard to figure out what it was when Lou Henson was there. It wasn't Lou Henson's fault, and it because there were a lot of teams that had a lot of heart and did everything right all year, and then there were other teams that you thought had all the talent in the world, and they folded it up and didn't play. For example, the Ephraim winners, Bruce Douglas teams mm-hmm. that were under. Everybody was like, oh, these are these guys are sophomores went to the Elite Eight, and they lost to Kentucky on Kentucky's court. They should have went to the Final Four, blah, blah, blah. This is a Big Ten champion team. And all of a sudden, Ephraim Winter are juniors and seniors. And during those two years, they don't win a Big Ten championship, barely have a Big Ten winning record. 
And come to find out from the son of the athletic director at, at the University of Illinois, which I played college football with for, uh, he was a year younger than me for three years, that Ephraim Winters and Bruce Douglas would smoke weed before they go on the court. Lovely. I, you know what? I, I have no problem with people. If you want to, if you want to do something on your own time, that's fine. But when you find, I was like, seriously? And I, I asked him, he's like, no. They did it consistently. Like, so the whole team turned into potheads and Lou Henson did nothing about it. Mm-hmm. I remember that was the case with, uh, do you, do you go back as far as, and we're talking a little college hoops march madness to start the show, folks. Big dog and a coach phone lines are open. If you got the temperatures rising yourself, the march madness fever, you want to talk a little hoop with the big dog and the coach phone lines are open at 888-463-6748. The phone number dog, there were, um, goes back. Do you remember Eddie Johnson and Mark Smith? Do those names ring a bell? Oh, absolutely. Eddie Johnson, uh, one of the greatest scorers in Big Ten history. Coach. Yes, but that both of them, in, in particular, both of them, I remember the rumor was anyways that uh, if they were playing in the same era, they would have joined Ephraim Winters and Bruce Douglas for pre, pre-game festivities. Coach, that was that, that has been issues. Then there's other teams at Illinois where none of that stuff went around, where everybody, like the, the team policed itself. Mm-hmm. And Kenny Battle would have grabbed you by the neck and killed you. If you messed up one of his seasons at the University of Illinois, so I don't, I don't really blame. I didn't blame Lewinson back then. I always blame the leadership of uh, of whatever team it was on. You know what I mean? All of a sudden, you get Kenny Battle there, and all of a sudden, you get twelve guys acting like, "Hey, let's win a conference championship in the Big Ten. I mean, a, in a <laughs> national championship." And then you get other teams, and they're like, "Hey, you know, look at what happened at UCLA." The last couple of years, Coach, mm-hmm. have you have you paid attention to the Sports Illustrated story? Boy, slippage. Major slippage oh. under Ben Holland and company. Could, uh, why would you let a player talk to you that way? Like Ben Holland has players like talking smack to them, and he's like, "Well, they're they're a real high recruits, so they're a little different to handle." No, forget that. Some kid talks to you like you're a punk. I don't care if he's the number one player in the country. You got to do something about it, or guess what? Every other player is going to start talking to you like that on the team. Mm-hmm. And the, what's happened at UCLA is like, wow. They, you know, I, I'm complaining about Illinois and being like, you know, the players seem to have, like, tuned the coach out. Forget about tuned the coach out at UCLA. They've, like, taken over the program, coach. It's, what's going on over there is just mind-boggling. And what's so surprising about it is you've got a coach that, uh, you know, a pretty strong personality, tremendous success. He had a great run at Pittsburgh. They bring him over to UCLA and Big Dog in his first couple of years, first two, three, four years. He had him on top of the world, and people, I think, were talking about Ben Howland, you know, great coach, maybe top five, and then all of a sudden, they fell off the cliff. Uh-huh, and it was all because he basically let the inmates run the asylum. Not good. Yeah, the, the story's going over at UCLA. Oh, my mm-hmm. goodness. They got a guy beating up people in practice. I mean, you know, you start one fight in practice. As a coach, I'm like, listen, you got one more chance, one and if you ever do anything stupid like that again, you're off this team. Well, this guy starts a fight like once a week in practice. He knocked one of those guys, he knocked one of those players out for the rest of the season. I mean, seriously, how is that guy still on your team? So, a lot of guys yeah. transferring out of UCLA, too. It seems like watching a little bit of West Coast basketball. I watch a Gonzaga, UNLV, whoever it might be. Every team seems to have one of their star players a transfer from UCLA. Do they go to UCLA coach? No. Is that what you're saying? No.
No, no, no. Oh, they, they went to UCLA. Home. They've transferred out, and they're now starring for Nevada, for a Wyoming, for a UNLV. I don't know. Maybe it's just my image, but it seems like I've come across more than a few of those in my basketball watching this particular year. Uh, there has been a lot of people leaving UCLA yeah. the last couple of years, Coach, so yeah. Yeah, I'd have to agree with you. Talented ones. 888-463-6748. Getting back to the matter at hand. Big Ten tournament starts at about 18 minutes, Big Dog. Pre-game speech being brought to you right now. Bruce Weber trying to fire up the troops. You put on the orange and blue. You're representing Champaign, representing the tradition of Illinois basketball. It's like me, Big Dog, before the show. After I, you know, do my little musings with the David Olson and our uh, two-and-a-half-minute pregame ritual, when I strap on the headphones, Big Dog, when I strap on the headphones for our one-hour TalkZone.com show, you got to be ready to come out fired up and ready to go. I know you know that as an athlete. Hopefully the Illini are getting that message. Yeah, and... Uh, what do you strap on at home, by the way? You got headphones or are you strapping on something else? Uh, I don't strap anything on, Coach. No. You don't uh, have headphones? No, I don't have any. Every time I get headphones, they break. So the yeah, last time David Olson sent me headphones, he sent them to uh, <laughs> a place that the neighbors decided to rob them from me. I don't know what they're going to do with them. Oh, boy. Oh, my goodness. You strap so, on like a pair of sandals maybe when you're doing the show? you got to strap on something. Come on. I don't strap anything on. You're killing me. I, I totally lost it. I was going to say, who cares? It's a family show, guys. It is? Thank you. Ne- ne- next time you're here, just remind me. I got a whole box of headphones in my office. All right, cool. Hey, psst, psst. We'll buy a headphone. All right, but at any rate, I was talking about hopefully Weber firing up the Illinois troops. Big dog, they got to come out right from the get go, ready to play. That ain't going to happen. Still to this day, the worst pregame speech I've ever seen was Weber's before the NCAA championship game. I in remember though exactly. Oh my! God. I remember seeing that, being like, ah, "We're going to get killed." That was the most sophomoric. Are you talking about the one where he did the five fingers and closed the fist? Here it is, everybody. Okay, we're playing the SCMC game. Okay, think of it, think of it like this. All right, everybody, listen, listen. Hold up, think of it like this. We're all a hand. And when you when you ball like a fist, it's powerful. No, 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 that's not it. That's not it. Imagine, imagine you're a finger. You're a finger. Darren Williams, you're the thumb. And you put it together, and we're a fist. Yeah, that's it. We're going to win a title. And everybody looked at each other like, are you serious? And they went out there. They went out there. North Carolina's up 40 to 8, and James Augustine already has five fouls. Uh, 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 You know what, though? In defense, and I, I remember exactly what you're talking about. In defense of Brucius Weber, though, you, you, you. You listen into some of the speeches in the locker room, some of the great coaches that we've respected, and you listen to some of the talks, or even when they go in the huddle sometimes, NBA coaches, college coaches, and you just assume as a spectator that, you know, these guys are the best of the best. There's some tremendous X's and O's going on. There's some great instruction, detailed stuff, motivating stuff. Big dog, it's amazing how weak most of those speeches are and how the huddles some of the most very basic stuff is being talked about. Well, the, the huddles, it doesn't bother me. Well, Especially in the NBA. What are these guys supposed to get the rah-rah speech every single time? You know, no. I don't worry. These guys shouldn't play up to the camera like, oh, the camera's in here, so now i got to actually act emotional. And how about, get you how about instead like a unique teaching point or level of instruction? I can't remember in an NBA game when they put the mic on, they get some fancy term for it, but they mic up the coach. You can hear the coach talking where I've, I've, I've ever like – Ooh, 
well, that's an interesting adjustment. Or that's a good point. It's all just, you know, pretty basic stuff, quite frankly. I could give a better locker room talk than two-thirds of the, the big-time Division One coaches ever. Well, are you talking about the pregame speech? You well, about I, I kind of switched over. I was talking about the NBA huddles, where I've never heard any tremendous insight. Sorry. And then I, I kind of switched over into the uh, college coaches you see giving their talks before the game, and I haven't heard a great one yet. Shaka uh, Smart the other day was awesome. It was freaking, he had me fired up, had me ready to play. Okay. He wasn't screaming. It was awesome. And if, if I'm Bruce Weber now, first of all, I don't say much before this game because don't mess it up. But I just remind these guys, listen, guys, you don't have to win four games. You have to win one game today. So you, gotta do, you have to win one game today. All this, oh, we got to win four to get in the tournament. You get blown out the, the first game you play, you'll be going home if, with that attitude. Mm-hmm. And I don't even know who they're playing today, Coach. Who are they playing? Nebraska? Iowa Hawkeyes, Fran McCaffrey uh, uh, and company. Okay, there's definitely a good chance to get a win today. Okay, good. that's good to know. Every time Illinois has a chance to beat up on Iowa, I like it. Mm-hmm. And just, I want to remind everybody out there, anybody who thinks that Illinois doesn't have a chance to win this freaking tournament has lost their mind. Illinois is the best team in the Big Ten in the basketball tournament, period. Every year they go further than everybody thinks they're going to go. And every year they're supposed to win it, they win the Big Ten tournament, coach. So yeah, but I, this year, this year the collapse has not been gradual; it's been rather dramatic. You're right; they've got the talent; they could get on a roll, but uh, they also, Big Dog, could lay an egg, come out unmotivated, and uh, exit stage left in the first game. Okay, well, okay. Now, what about your team, Northwestern? This is not Northwestern; is definitely not a four game and four day. Type team. No. You're talking about they got six players. Yes. Seven now. <laughs> We're up to seven. Okay, well, could you, seven players that, that's basically, you got about, a, you got, uh, everybody playing a half, like 30 minutes a game out of the seven. Everybody's got to play 30 in, in an instance like that. Four days in a row. Yeah. Even though I would say Northwestern is the seventh best team in the Big Ten, they may have the 11th best chance to win four games mm-hmm. in four days out of everybody. That's actually a good call. Getting. Uh-huh. That's actually a, a very good call. You're exactly right. Because of the lack of depth, I don't know what the hell they've done with all the scholarships. Maybe the English department stole a couple. I suspect the uh, you know math and geometry department. But there's some particular department in Northwestern that apparently has stolen a few of the athletic scholarships, Big Dog, because you're allowed to give up, what, 12, 14? Mm-hmm. We had a couple players injured. There's like nobody available. What the hell? Well, Where is everybody? I- Northwestern has more players quit basketball than all the other 11 Big Ten basketball teams combined that are scholarship players. Inexcusable. It happens all the time. Oh, there's a guy who has one more year eligibility left, and he was he started for the last two years at Northwestern, but he's going to take a, a uh, what do you call it, some type of scholarship to go yep. study law somewhere else. How often is that? No, no other Division One uh, school not even Stanford or Duke has that happened to them. Like Northwestern has that happened to them. Division one players with, with eligibility left, and they say, "I'm going to cash it in to go study a little bit more." Killing us. Uh, yeah, Killing what's, us. what's wrong with these guys? You can go learn whenever you want to. How often do you get a chance to play Big Ten <laughs> basketball? David Olson, I've said all along, big, biggest problem in Northwestern: way too much stress on academics. You can save your academics for later. Every time I, I told you before, Big Dog, every time I go to the Northwestern basketball games, I walk by the weight room. Very nice weight room, huge weight. It's always empty. 
and it's dark in there. We're like, what the hell are the football players doing right now? Studying? Get your ass out of the library. Get in the waiter. What do you think they're doing in Ohio State right now? They're lifting weights. Too much emphasis on academics. I kid, of course. They're also getting tattoos. They're also getting tattoos, reminding them that their goal is to win the Big Ten championship. Yes. Yes. Following announcement has been paid for by Citizens for Joe Redwanski. Thank you very much. 888-463-6748, the phone number dog. And the coach got a little March Madness fever kicking in high gear here over the weekend. We got some great games coming up. Um, uh, last night, some more teams got early entries into the tournament. Big Dog, Long Island University, LIU. Second year in a row, they knock off Robert Morris to win the NEC championship. That's not bad. Two years in a row for the Long Islanders. No, yeah, uh, LIU Brooklyn, which is pretty cool because uh, Spike Lee showed up for that. I thought that was pretty cool that he's that big of a basketball fan to show up at that place. Did you see the highlights of that arena? I wouldn't. I would can't exactly call that. I can't call it an arena. I can't really even call it a gym. They had like, and they had some wooden bleachers and then like a balcony hanging over, and the balcony looked like one of those things that you walk between, like you know. The education complex and the athletic complex was just like a walkway. Mm-hmm. I don't think they, could, they couldn't have had 800 people in that gym, Coach. It was awesome. It was like legitimately, it was, it was, like I said, it wasn't really even a gym. It was just like a basketball court with a couple seats. Old school. I wonder how they were no, able no. to host the tournament. So the weird thing is, Coach, it was like really new school. That building looked like it was made like five years ago. Huh. It's like really fashionable, but it was just tiny and I think they were like, uh-oh, we got to, they've only had a Division One basketball team for a couple of years, so. Uh-huh. So that was the, they won the tournament and it was at their home gym? Yeah, and yeah, you can call that a gym, coach. It really was a gym. It cracked me up. I swear to you, McMurray College's basketball facility is 10 times better than the one at LIU Brooklyn, which is kind of funny. I'm looking on the website now, I believe it, they call it the Long Island University Brooklyn uh, Gymnasium slash West Cafeteria. Okay, there you go. Coach, does it look like that? Like the balcony area? They had like vending machines set up. You know, I'm not kidding you. I'm not kidding you, Coach. It was, if you just, if you got to look at the gym real carefully. Could you see that? Was the gymnastics team practicing up on top? You know what? If they were to raise it a little higher, it's so funny that you said that. I was thinking something like that. I was like, there's probably like some yoga class going on. You know what I mean? Like in that same level that they were showing. <laughs> <laughs> That's beautiful. Old school little throwback style. How about the Patriot League, my friend? Lehigh. Lehigh knocking off Bucknell. Bucknell's had some great success in the tournament before, yeah. but your Patriot representative is the Lehigh. What's their nickname? Lehigh. Uh, you know, they're, they have like colonial, like they're like the Patriots and stuff out in the Patriot League. They all have, like, colonial names. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm sorry that I don't know Lehigh's. Uh, they're out of Pennsylvania. Or Penn, they're, Lehigh's in Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. And if they might be the Eagles, I don't know. I don't okay. know what it is. But they've been strong. I mean, they've, they've had more than a couple of times they've made the NCAA tournament since March Madness came in vogue. So congrats to them. Then I watched a little Big Sky basketball. you got to love the, the Big Sky and the Montana Grizzlies. Montana Grizzly knocking off Weber. Don't call us Weber State. Pretty good game there. Montana, by the way, looked very good. You're looking for a Cinderella team that could get on a roll and get to the Sweet 16? Don't forget Montana. Pretty good ball club. Well, last night when they were beating Weber State, uh, Weber. They, it's, it's Weber. If, uh, you said don't call it, but I'm going to actually call it by the right name. 
they uh, did you see the head coach at Montana last night at yeah. the end of the game about four minutes ago in the game? Yeah. How did he not get a technical? He's the older Silverhood gentleman, right? Yeah, but I have I have never seen a coach yell that long and that close and that vehemently and not get a technical foul. I might I might have missed that. I might have fast forwarded through that. What happened? And while I'm saying that, oh, they just blew a they blew a, a foul call, and it gave uh, Montana's best player like four fouls, and he he erupted so bad. I have never seen a guy yell that long and not get a technical foul. And while this was going on, I like the, the commentators like, uh, you know, he's pretty upset that the call was called against him, but the referee hasn't called a technical on him, so it's even now. Is how they said it. They were like, he deserved one. It, he acted like a freaking lunatic coach. By the way, uh, the, the coaching Montana, staff of Montana, the average age of the coaching staff of Montana, I think, was deceased. Well, I got to tell you something. That guy better not be uh, spending too many more uh, <laughs> years of his life yelling at people because that's, he yes. doesn't have many left hand coach. He looks like he's late 60s, but both his assistants look like in their early 80s. I mean, good coaching staff, well coached team, but. Uh, you know, at some point, the student manager might have to take over the team before this NCAA tournament's over. <laughs> no, um, well, you really got, you got to appreciate how the Montana fans support their yes. athletic program. Yes. Because they, they average 40000 for their football game, 40000 That stadium, by the way, the Montana Stadium is the coolest stadium in America. I know it's not the best, but it's really cool. And last night, how about that? There was, what, 8000 passed into the stadium for that mm-hmm. game. It was pretty cool. Yep. Rabid fans, too. Also, similar to South Dakota State fans, as you alluded to yesterday, extremely, again, I don't know how to gently put this, very white. Very white well, crowd not, in Montana. Well, I'm not going to, you know, it's really easy just to make fun of white people because they're white people. But mm-hmm. is it, I don't think it's the white people's fault that they've decided to populate yes. the Montanas uh, and the Wyomings and the Utahs was of the not, world. I was not putting particular fault. It was just an observation. Thank you very much. Because, um, I, I, like, I, like I said, my buddy moved to Wyoming, and he is begging for a taco place. And, and like, and, and my buddy in, in Omaha, oh, my goodness, that's all they're begging for. They're like, please, we need some Mexican families yeah. to move to Omaha. Yeah, I know what else they're looking for in Omaha, and that's a good Chicago deep dish pizza. Can't find that there either. It's funny you should. Mm-hmm. It's funny you should mention that because I was just going to say to Big Dog, your friend should look into opening a franchise. Because a friend of my dad's did that down in uh, Fort Myers, Florida. Just like you, we need a, big, a good deep dish pizza up there. He's opened like five Aurelios down in the Fort Myers area. Successful. And, uh, incredibly, incredibly. So your friend should look into opening his own taco joint. You know that's, that's probably not a bad idea, and you know what the, the funny thing is, the coach. If you if you guys think of fast food, you were like, oh, okay, I'll go to fast food. I'll drive in the car for three minutes, get back. I'll be back in fifteen minutes with the food. Well, fast food in Wyoming means you drive for an hour before you find <laughs> something. You know, so fast food only took us an hour to get somewhere. I mean, it's, so there's only five hundred thousand people in that state. Is like like the fourth largest state in America. So. Things are a little bit more spread out. Strip mall is not yeah. as prevalent in the uh, beautiful state of Montana. Mm-hmm. At any rate, big dog. Uh, we got so we got March Madness today, Big East tournament, Big Ten tournament. Uh, I don't think there's any small school championships today. I think we got all the all the smaller conference tournament champions are in. Correct? It's the it, we now start I'm the big tournament. Sure. I'm pretty sure I go. I'll, I'll check for you as we do this. Mm-hmm. I do, 
there, but then again, there's what? There's 31 automatic bids, so 31 conferences. Is that right, Coach? 31. Uh, uh, there's 37 at-large bids. Okay, so 31 automatic bids. So that yeah. that's about right. We're getting right there, Coach, because we still have the six major conferences to figure out. Yep. There's been about 25. Um, there's been about 25 championship games over the last five days. Mm-hmm. That's how it's about right. There can't be much more. There's definitely nothing on TV in terms of uh, the smaller schools right now, Coach. Going to be a lot of fun. Going to be a lot of fun indeed. Don't forget uh, the Big Dog and the Coach will be hosting a March Madness Selection Show Wednesday, March 14th. The day is creeping near, Big Dog. Next Wednesday, you, me, cameraman Idris, who knows, maybe producer extraordinaire David Olsa will show up. Some of our uh, two guys that are like fans at the Playbook in Niles. I believe it's 93 19 Milwaukee Avenue. What a night it's going to be. You got the Heat playing the Bull. You got the Blackhawk playing the Blue. And the next day, you're going to have 64 college basketball teams, or at least the beginning of it, in March Madness. So uh, that should be a lot of fun next Wednesday. Yeah, and you got to come on out, folks. We're playing all different types of games. So chances for you to win money without risking any. And that's awfully good. So just. Uh... Just be able to make some picks on college basketball with, and have some fun mm-hmm. with it. It's awfully good, Coach. Yep. We are going to have to get the names of the waitresses so we can uh, throw some kudos out to them. We're going to have to get a copy of the menu, Big Dog, so we can push some of the outstanding food at the playbook. And I don't know if you're going to need to call in advance, but you might want to let the manager know what beverage you would like over the – we might be there for a long time, by the way, because we're getting there at 7. But then you got the Bulls game on. We can't do the show while the Bulls game's going on. And then I think we're doing the college hoops afterwards. This place stays open to what, like three, four in the morning? Yes, yeah. So we're not going to be there that no. long. We're going to be there. We're going to uh, basically what's going to happen is we're going to have a couple different like drawings for different stuff. So in between commercial breaks and half times, we're going to we're going to have a lot of entertaining stuff going on, and your chances to yeah. uh, pick your basketball team. For free, mind you, and win some money doing this. Yeah. So, and it's going to be a draft. It's going to be a draft. So, uh, you know, first come, first serve. And so roughly we'll be there from, what, about 7 till midnight, Doug? That would sound about right. And okay. I would say that, uh, you know, between 7 and 7.30 we'll be talking a lot. And then mm-hmm. about once every 10 minutes for two at a time until the game's over, I guess. Yeah. Now, speaking of the uh, Chicago Bulls, and again, that's at the Playbook next Wednesday. More information available at the uh, PlaybookChicago.com is the website. The flyer is up there, all the information on there, PlaybookChicago.com. It really is a very cool uh, sports bar. Um, Big dog getting to the Bulls game yesterday. We're transferring a little from college hoops to NBA, and then I do want to get to some baseball and some other topic. Peyton Manning's Press conference also want to throw some kudos that way, but the Bulls win it in overtime, 106 to 104. Amazing game by Dero, 30 points, 11 assists, eight rebounds, and he hit the game winner. Did you catch the highlight, or, or were you watching live when Derrick Rose drained the 20 footer? Absolutely, was watching live, and you know, like he's telling the guys, "Hey, I like our situation." You know, D Rose to make sure he holds on to it and make sure we get the last shot, so we're either tied or. We're going to win this thing. I'm like, Coach, when he, I was like, why aren't they putting more pressure on Derrick Rose? Yes. There's three seconds to go in, in the game, and they're still playing off of him. Forget not even double him. The guy that was on him wasn't even in his face. So you, they kind of deserve to lose at that point. He just rise up, 
and dropped it in. Bulls win 106-104, game over. Yeah, and, and I'm going to say something negative here in a second, but the shot, you could not shoot the ball more perfectly than that. I mean, it barely touched the net. Did you notice that? Yeah. It not only went in, it was just perfectly centered. Mm-hmm. Just a gorgeous shot. Now, here, here's my issue with it, and first, I always find a little humor in, you know, when they go to the uh, the huddles and last second, not just the Bulls, but a lot of teams, out-of-bounds situations, last-second situations, and, the, you know, these t- TV timeouts are like three minutes now. The coaches are diagramming all kinds of stuff. You never know exactly what they're doing. So Tom Thibodeau was doing that last night, long timeout or whatever. Oh, I'm thinking, oh, let's see what they drew up. And then they pass it into Derrick Rose. He holds the ball. Four guys stand around, and they watch Derrick Rose create. So I'm like, <laughs> well, what exactly was he diagramming the last two minutes? I mean, to do that. That's exactly what he was trying to t- Listen, do not give them the ball back in the last 19 seconds. There's 19 seconds to go. Right. There's no track clock. Derrick Rose, you make sure you hold on to the ball. They did exactly what he was supposed to do. That was that was, and I, it was well, a perfect timeout, and a team executed. I'm going to get to that in a second. I'm just trying to. I'm finding it a little bit humorous that these coaches, and again, not just the Bulls game yesterday. You see it over and over again. Spending all this time in the huddle, the players watching the guy with the magic marker, or the little pieces moving him around, diagramming something, and then they inbound the ball, and it's basically one guy killing his dribble. The other four guys standing around, and the one guy creates the play. Which you don't really need to diagram. You can just tell the players that. Uh, so maybe they should have just yell it out on the. Hey, Derek Rose, take the last shot. I, I guess my him. point is, what exactly are they diagramming? But all right, so here's my issue. I, I worry. You've heard me say this before, not just on that shot, but at the end of the game. It was, you know, every time it comes crunch time. Not every time. I've seen a few games when it hasn't been the case, but more often than not. And I think the success yesterday is going to encourage the Bulls to do this. This one, this one, that's why I think this might be negative via a positive. This might hurt us more in the long run. And, you know, what I'm basically talking about is the rest of the Bulls players standing around and watching Derrick Rose do his thing whenever we need a crunch time basket. I don't think that's the bad. The Bulls are best when they move the ball. They absolutely are. And they would have been moving the ball in a, of any other situation. That didn't involve, hey, there is no shot clock and it's a tie game. If it's no shot clock, tie game, I want ball one hand, one guy, you want, you do it. Because the next thing you know, if you have people cutting and they're not watching the clock, next thing you know, you have, you might get an open shot, but all of a sudden you get a, you know, a, a layup with eight seconds to go in the game, you know, mm-hmm. and then you're like, oh no, now we're going to go play defense, or God forbid you missed the shot and all of a sudden you're giving, I think that it was the situation of the game coach. Because you can try to get cute and call a, like a great play and all that. The best thing to do in that situation was to say, Derek Rose, make sure you shoot the ball in the time on the clock. Not sure I agree. Not sure I agree because I've seen way too many times when, when you miss that shot and everybody else is just standing around. I think it makes it easy. I think you played a little bit into the hands of the defense. That's not that hard to defend. Okay. So what, what what's more important uh, on that point? You have to make sure your team gets the last shot. Well, the now game. that I completely agree with you. Absolutely. I love so, uh, tie game. My ball, you're exactly right. We are going to take the last shot. Worst thing we can do well, is go into OT. So we agree when, on that part. When you start moving the ball around and all that, guess what? Who, who the ball is going to end up with in the Chicago Bears? Both. It's going to end up in Joe Kim Noah's hands. 
and then five defenders are going to drop back and laugh. <laughs> what are you going to do with the choke him? And then he's, oh, he's going to panic. And so they did the right thing, coach. In that situation, they weren't down one or three or two. They weren't up one. It was a tie game. Yeah, I understand. And if they give the ball back to Milwaukee, they would lose. That we agree. That's not For the that, issue. You're overthinking, is what I'm uh, saying. Well, I don't think I'm overthinking. We we all agree. We want to take well, the last shot. Of, you're right. You're not thinking enough. Sometimes you have to just say, "Hey, this is a situation where we have the best point guard in the NBA." And he can dribble the ball, and we all we have to worry about there's going to be one shot. Maybe we go to overtime, but we know one thing: we're not going to lose the game before overtime. That's how you you play. You got to play to win the game. Sometimes well, I understand that. What I'm saying is, you got a better chance to win the game. And any Bulls fans out there, you want to chime in? Love to hear from you. Eight 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 four six three six seven four eight. He bounced the ball. The defense didn't have to move at all, and he ended up big dog taking a somewhat off balance, slightly off balance, contested. 20-foot jumper, I would argue to you, my friend, that more often than not, he will miss that shot. I want something going to the basket. The defense is in a situation where they cannot foul. If I'm the defense, I'll give you the pull-up jumper with a hand in your face. Okay, he made it that time. You know what? Next time I'll give you that same shot. Much more worrisome if you drive into the paint, create something off a of play, get some action. Now you got a better chance for an offensive rebound because the defense is discombobulated. I don't like that stand around and watch one guy take a take a twenty footer shot. Sometimes I, I don't even like argue with you because what's wrong with that theory? Come on, come on, take the ball to the hoop. I'm not. I'm not. I'm, not, I'm done. Okay, I'm not even going to bother arguing. Big dog. The defense is in a situation where they cannot exactly. foul. If you're the defense in that situation. You can't if I'm foul. The defense, if I'm the defense, I would foul at that point. I'm like, I, at this point, you might as well foul with like eight seconds to go in the game. Oh, he's just sitting there dribbling. It, I don't know, Coach. Wait, why? As, as, as a defense, I know this. It, it bothers me. I would much rather have the guy moving the ball around, trying to for a shot, than knowing that Derrick Rose is going to take the last I, shot and I'm not going to get any other issue at the ball. I disagree. I disagree, especially if Derrick Rose is not going to drive and dish or so drive I, to the paint. If he's going to pull, pull up and take a hand-in-your-face 20-footer, I'll give it to you. I'll I take, grew up watching watching basketball my whole life. And I remember Isaiah Thomas one time in a huddle against the Bulls, and he was like, all right, it's a tie game. I'm going to dribble, and until uh, there's a second left, I'm going to throw it up so that way the worst thing that we happen is go to overtime. You know what happens? Isaiah Thomas dribbles for 20 seconds, throws it up, Bulls lose. I've seen Danny Ainge do this, Coach. It is a very, very solid strategy to have your point guard handle the ball, and be the last one to shoot the ball. Okay, don't tell me it's not a sound strategy and there's better strategies than that because you're the team type of team that the other team's going to get the ball back and have a yeah. shot to beat you. Well, Fine okay, you, you may ask you don't tell me, but I'm going to tell you exactly that. I got no problem with the point guard initiating the offense, but I don't like pound it, pound it, pound it, pound it, pound it, 20-footer hand in my face. I will flat out tell you that is not the best strategy. We will agree to disagree, my friend. No, I, w- I would rather have him going towards the hole. I would, but I want to make sure that it's the last shot. It has to be the last shot, period, of the game. The other team gets zero. The, the worst that should happen is there should be a second left on the clock, so maybe you yes. get a tip back. Well, but anything more than, like, a second and a half on yes. the clock, you basically are like, hey, we'll give you a chance to beat us. That, that part of it, we both agree on. 
That right. part of it we agree. You and, I, get... and I understand. And I'm not talking about oh, I want a fadeaway pounded pound. But my point is, it has to. You, we have a guy that can get a shot off at any time, coach. If you really want them to start moving the ball around and risk risk losing the ball and maybe shooting too early, that's your own thing. I, we have the best point guard in the NBA. I'm like, all right, Derek. We have one possession. I didn't oh, realize in the NBA passing the ball around was that dangerous of a thing. I, I have confidence my team can throw three or four passes, move the defense a little bit, and create a better option. But uh, well, here's but, but the problem is I'm not saying that the pass would get intercepted or whatever. The ball ends up on a rotation in Joe Kim Noah's hands all of a sudden, and then he panics. Okay, and don't tell me Joe Kim Noah won't panic. The guy <laughs> hits a ten foot jump shot. And he starts acting like he takes his shotgun off with whatever the stupid six shooter thing out. Freaking embarrassment! <laughs> the guy, the, no, honestly, uh, Joe Kim Noah, get your head out of your ass! Seriously, what are you doing? Off the jump shot, and you act like you just won the the freaking NBA championship. That it's, it's he's so moronic, coach. Joe Kim <laughs> Noah could play for my team any day, my friend. The guy's an hey, absolute okay warrior. He rebounds. He plays defense. He plays with enthusiasm. Doesn't embarrass the other team for the most part. I, I don't. Right. I, you got a chip on your shoulder today, and I always say a chip on the shoulder indicates what higher up. <laughs> coach, I, I I like players that act like they've been there before. Yes. Okay. The guy hits a ten foot jump shot, and he starts every time he does it. He has to do spend a hundred calories of energy by acting like he's got a gun and he starts shooting it into the crowd. He isn't showing anybody up. I'm not sure that I've noticed. I, mean, the, uh... I, I, I like Joe Camillo. I'm glad he's a bull, and I root for him. I really like him. I just he needs to stop that. He looks like an idiot every time he does it. I cringe. I feel like puking. Let's get off the basketball real quick. One hour show. We got to keep it moving here. Big dog and the coach. With you right up until 11 o'clock. Baseball, the White Sox lose again yesterday. Big Dog, spring training, they're 0-3. Robin Ventura still looking for his first victory. Is it too early to panic, or should the Sox fans start to worry? No, it's, it's too late to panic. If you're a White Sox fan and we're panicked panic. already. <laughs> it's, so, it's, it's March. I, I, I hate that. Like, White Sox fans are oh, you just because you're a Cup fan. If you don't think your team sucks, I mean, if you think you have a good team this year, go out and buy season tickets if you're so happy about your team. Wow. I mean, the more I look at this, they might not win 70 ball games, Coach. What are you talking 59? about? Dayon Viciato patrolling left field? Um, hey, Alejandro you know, DeHate. If you, if you put a glove on a fire hydrant, <laughs> it would have more range. It would have more range than Diane Viciato on oh, left field. Oh, man. An edgy and somewhat discombobulated big dog just Firing today, all over the place. How about Alejandro? How do you pronounce his last name? Diazza? who's our going to be our full time center fielder now? I got to tell you something. That kid, he can really, really run, and he might be one of the few bright spots for uh, <laughs> for the White Sox this year. So, uh, how about an that, Alex Rios? Alex Rios back home where he feels he belongs in right field, possibly so a can, comeback he, player of the year award. Yeah, he can feel comfortable as he hits 235 this season. At least he'll be comfortable <laughs> this year. Uh, Paul, the coach, Canerco. By the way, I'd heard Canerco interviewed on the radio. Mm-hmm. And that dude is wise beyond his years. He is absolutely a future coach, future manager, future announcer. Or if he wanted to go in business, big dog, uh, to me, my 
gut feeling is it wouldn't take him long to rise the corporate ladder, too. That guy's just got it. By, by April 15th this year, Paul Canuck is going to look around and he's going to say to himself, I won a title in 05. I get paid $15 million a year. I play baseball. Life isn't that bad as we are 2 and 10. Okay, that's Paul Canerco is a quality young man, an unbelievable hitter. Everything you said is exactly right. And uh, he, by the way, he's he's going to open up the next Don BB Speed School. By the way, coach, is a little known fact. <laughs> is that right? Yeah, yeah, he's got. He's, <laughs> they said they, they need a speed school out in Burr Ridge, so that's that's what they're getting that done. He could be the before, uh, the before and after, huh? And and, and uh, now David Olson's the White Sox, and I'm not. You know, I don't bash the White Sox, just to bash the White Sox. But it, this is going to be a really, really, really. Really rough year for the White Sox. Either it's going to be a really, really rough year, or the White Sox are set up for the next five or six years to really play some good can baseball. I, David, can I can I give you the ultimate glass half full comment? The White Sox have a lot of contenders for comeback player of the year this year. <laughs> <laughs> what uh, David is a Sox fan? Where do you, where do you go from here? No, you're you're exactly right. I mean this. It, it, from my Sox fan friends, they do not have a lot of optimism about this year and the way that things are looking. Mm-hmm. But some, what's the expression? Sometimes when things look the darkest? I mean, you never know, right, Big Dog? I mean, you know, the odds are. Well, no, it's true. I mean, the odds are, but it's not an impossibility. Some things could fall into place in the White Sox. I'm not going to say they're going to win the World Series, but they could still have a pretty good year this year if some things fall into place. Uh, again, the odds are against it. And it's one of those things where if you're if you're a what do you call it if you're a fan, hey, if the White Sox go 82 and 80 this year, you're really happy with your team. You know what I mean? It's like yes. it's one of those things where hey, you know, and as a Cub fan, <laughs> the way I'm <clears throat> judging a successful season is very simple, Coach. Can they trade Dempster and Soriano before the season's done? If they do, it's been a successful season for the Cub. I don't expect them to go to the playoffs or win anything this year. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's the first time in in my life ever the Cubs have actually said, "Hey, we're not going to win this year." Theo has basically come out and said it. Basically, Theo has, has said this: "We are, we're not giving up on this year. We would never give up on a season, but we do realize that we're not armed for contention this year, and yeah. we want to set ourselves up for future contention." Is mm-hmm. basically the exact quote that he that he had in uh, the article I read the other day. Yeah. And I was, like, sitting there as a Cub fan being like, finally, how long have we... I'm a Cub fan this year, next year, and forever, and I know this year they can't win the World Series, so finally we have a, a general manager who's like, you know what, we're not going to win the World Series this year, but I think we're a little bit closer to 2013 than we were a week ago. I like, Makes sense, Coach. I li- it does. It does. I agree with you. I like that quote a lot better without the word contention. Because, yes, you know, we're not equipped to win the championship this year, but I would like to think coming into the season that we can at least contend. Maybe maybe he was talking about the World Series, but we, you know, on a bright... Yeah, yeah he was, he was. Okay. He was. Okay. Uh-huh. Then it makes sense. Because that was like the whole thing was my goal is to win the World Series at the Cubs, blah, blah, blah. And we want to look at every year when the year starts. And he was talking about what how they'll do it as an organization. And we're going to determine at the beginning of the year, do we go for it this year? Or do we set up the year after? I was like, that's exactly what you got. If you go in thinking you're going to win the World Series every single year, you better have been set up for the 10 previous years like the, the Red Sox have been or the Angels. You know, these are teams that are close every year. Or the Phillies, you know, if you just, hey, 
Okay, well, uh, we got Carlos Pena batting fourth, and we're going to make a run at the World Series. Well, you are? With Carlos Pena as your fourth hitter? <laughs> so, okay, that, this year, obviously, there, it, it's funny is that I, I think maybe the Ricketts family knows, hey, if you tell a Cup fan that's waited for so long, okay, I know you guys have waited for a long time, but we really are trying to implement a plan. Mm-hmm. A Cup fan can understand that. And a White Sox fan, you have to admit, White Sox fans, you know, they, they, they're more temperamental, and if they're not as good, they maybe don't go out like a Cub fan would. There's, there's, I'm not ripping that. I wish the Cub fans had more of that. But, yeah. like, White Sox fans learned in 97 when they, oh, the white flag trade, can you believe they gave up on a season? It was the best trade that team ever made. They were not going to win the World Series in 97. Next year, they get all this talent, and 2000, they're winning the, uh, their division with that talent. I, the Cubs need to, that's exactly the season I want the Cubs to have. Mm-hmm. A white flag, hey, here's Dempster, give us two prospects. Mm-hmm. Here's Soriano, give us two prospects. It's as much as possible, Coach, all year long. Okay. Hopefully win a few games along the way. One of our emailers writes in, don't worry. The White Sox will make up for their lack of starting pitching depth with no proven closer. And that pretty much sums it up. Yeah, that's, uh, no, no. You see, the White Sox younger players they got in the field, I'm a little excited about their pitching, though. You're right. I, they better With as much young pitching as they had, you'd think they would go after Mark Burley a little harder. Yeah, that was uh, that was strange. Losing mm-hmm. Mark Burley, is the, that's what they're going to miss Mark Burley the most, is the example he sets for the young guys they have in their, uh, in their rotation right Who now. Who will play more games, Jake Peavy or Richard Hamilton of the Bulls? That's a that's a tough one, Coach. So it's a close bet. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Hamilton's at twelve already. I think sixteen. But of those sixteen, you're right. Like four or five of them have been just brief appearances. So he's really only played like twelve actual games. Also, Jake Peavy doesn't get out of the second inning. Those don't count. Okay. So those won't count on those. Is that what you're saying to me? No. Okay. Well, I would still think Rip Hamilton's going to have more appearances than Jake Peavy will this year. Okay. I do, so if Jake Peavy makes 30 starts, that means he would have missed two on the year. Mm-hmm. Well, I, if, if the White Sox are going to win the division, they need Jake Peavy to have 33 starts. Okay. Well, that's and why I said, really, if you rank the top four American League comeback player of the year candidates, you could make an argument that Adam Dunn, Alex Rigos, Gordon Beckham, and Jake Peavy – are maybe the top four candidates to win Comeback Player of the Year award. Again, trying to look for a silver lining in an otherwise rather black cloud. Yeah, I, I thought, forgot about Gordon Beckham. Yeah, you're right, Coach. That's uh, definitely the top three, without a doubt. Yep. Adam Dunn is the biggest thing. Think about this. If Adam Dunn hits 222 with 25 home runs this year, he will still have had one of the worst years ever in the history of Major League Baseball. And he still could win the uh, Comeback Player of the Year award. <laughs> Just from, from the point of where you were. Huh? Apparently so far in spring training, and it's way early, and we're rooting for Adam Dunn because he did he handled the adversity at least pretty well. But apparently – No, uh, no, I don't think so at all, Coach. But let, let's face this straight up right now. Let, let, let's be honest, Coach. You of all people – and I think you're going to agree with me on this one. You mentioned, does Derrick Rose deserve $95 million? And then you you were very cool about how you were like, you know what, obviously people like Derrick Rose will deserve it a little bit more than a guy who like runs a Ponzi scheme and screws a bunch of nuns. Okay? That's like completely different. Like, who deserves the money? 
Well, what about Adams on coach? He gets four years, $72 million, and shows up fat. Think about that. I mean, like Derrick Rose, you know, you got does you were like does somebody deserve five years, nineteen million a year? Well, when he after he signed the contract, he came back with the giant killer, the running one handed. You know, he came back with all these weapons. Adam Dunn came back with sixty pounds of roll around his waist. Yeah. So if anybody deserved getting pounded, he really did. I mean, there's one thing to have a bad year because you had a bad year, and there's one thing to have a bad year because you didn't work hard. Well, I agree with you, and. Yeah, his theory of not working out in the offseason, it's always been successful, and that theory got shot. But what I said was he handled it pretty well. He didn't go into a shell, didn't start calling out his teammates. He he took a lot of abuse, and you're right about everything you said, but my point was he handled the horrible season and the abuse pretty well, I thought. I, I You know what, I guess so, because he said a couple of things last year that bothered me. And it's funny, because like, you're talking about handled it, and like – Maybe he, like, said stuff in the middle of the year, and it was, to me, like, it seemed, to some people, it's like, oh, he's, he's got a strong mental outlook, and it's good. And to me, I thought it was like a sign of weakness, where he was kind of like, oh, this happens, and, you know, I just can't forget that I'm a good player. And it seemed like it wasn't even bothering him. So mm-hmm. it, I, it, I didn't think he handled it as well as, okay. as you thought he'd handle it. Okay. Hey, real quick, speaking of handling things before we uh, exit stage left on the show, don't forget to tune in tomorrow. We'll definitely get more into March Madness, start to breaking down some of the tournament play and maybe take a sneak peek at Selection Sunday coming up in about 72 hours. But uh, real quick, big dog, the Peyton Manning press conference yesterday. Some people were surprised at how amenable it was. I think that's the word. But but my basic point was I heard the speech both on radio, watched it on TV. I thought it was one of the classiest, most well-spoken speeches I've seen from a retiring or, or, or moving on player. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And uh, I've been a big fan of uh, Peyton Manning, and you could tell he was a very distraught yeah. over leaving, but new. But you can tell he was also kind of excited about it. Mm-hmm. You know, as much as he, I'm sure he really hates leaving, leaving Indianapolis and he wanted to be there, blah, 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 all that stuff. I think there's something in them being like, hey, I never thought I'd ever have a chance to go pick an organization, to handpick one, to play with it. I think I can go to a Super Bowl with, I swear I felt like a sense of uh, of like excitement about Peyton Manning in it. And I, I think I'm the only one who said that. And I will tell you this, Coach. Look, next time you watch you're going to watch it 100 times if you, have the, if you watch television. Watch the look on Peyton Manning's face when Jim Ursay says it's not a financial decision. Because if you watch that whole time, uh-huh. they were still, when, when Jim Ursay's talking, Peyton Manning is behind him and not looking at the crowd, but like angled and looking directly at Jim Ursay from the side and a little behind. Okay? And he's, hey, we're still good friends. Like uh, Peyton Manning nods. He keeps, he's agreeing very subtly with everything he says. And all of a sudden, he says, and this was not a financial decision. All of a sudden, Peyton Manning is no longer smiling. He, like, swallows really, really hard. <laughs> I'm not kidding you, Coach. Uh-huh. And then he goes on and keeps saying it. All of a sudden, like, Peyton Manning starts paying attention again. And he starts nodding again. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's okay. I love it here. And it was a great 15 years. When he said this wasn't a financial decision, it, it like, punched Peyton Manning right in the stomach. He was like, no, yes, it was. <laughs> so, like, he gave him that look. Yeah. I swear you got to watch your Coach. It's. I will it's, check that out, like, but also, and you're right about his competitive nature in the future, there's a little bit of that, but there was also, I felt, not just scripted, not just written, but a genuine, 
genuine appreciation of his time in Indianapolis and the fans that supported him. I felt that, you know, deep is the best word I can put it. Uh, I'll agree with you there. I, I really do. I agree with you. David O? Well, and now, and now the fun begins with the uh, Peyton Derby. Uh-huh. Now, um, Cleveland's already come out and said they have no interest in him. Okay, but but two teams... Brady Quinn's our man. Yeah, two, two teams that we didn't talk about yesterday have jumped in. Um, number one is the Tennessee Titans. Number two, and most interesting of all, is the Denver Broncos. Rex is our quarterback. Wow. And and Adam Schefter last night on ESPN was talking about... Bears. Well, no, no, how Denver would be an ideal fit for him. Yeah, because he's used to having no offensive talent around him. <laughs> Not sure that's what Adam Schechter was talking about. Okay, you know, okay that isn't what he was talking about. Well, what, Eric Decker? I, I liked Eric Decker at Minnesota. I don't like him as much as the number one wide receiver for the Denver he's, Broncos. He's Wesley Walker light. Well, he's ten times bigger than Wesley Walker. If he could run a rot like Wesley Walker, then he would be Wesley Walker heavy. <laughs> I, I, and, and and whoever you know by the by the way whoever sends signs Peyton Manning could probably get Reggie Wayne for a song. Yes, this is true. Reggie Wayne is basically yeah. packing his bags with Peyton Manning. What about Baltimore? If he wants to win a Super Bowl and do it quick, Ravens. If you're the Ravens right now, you'd be like, hey, Joe Flacco, you keep on saying you deserve more money. You keep saying it. Okay. You deserve more money on another team. Go find it. We're going to hire mm-hmm. Peyton Manning. Just a thought. Yeah, I mean, think about it. I, I brought that up to my buddies. And then, you know, we talked about yesterday when, when Dave was talking about the San Francisco. Because, uh, like, the whole thing, if Alex Smith doesn't re-sign with Jim Harbaugh, then will he – will? I mean, because San Francisco would be perfect for Peyton Manning. And, and again, I just want to reiterate that something I said yesterday, Bill Polian said he could play any, uh, what do you call it, offense in the NFL. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's out there, Coach. All right. There's, this is cool. Big Dog, we got to sign off. We'll talk some hoops and more tomorrow. Be good and uh, go Alina and go Cats, okay? Yeah, go everyone. <laughs> Two guys at a mic, TalkZone.com, signing off. Big Dog and the Coach with you at 11 o'clock tomorrow. Have a great day, everybody.